Uh, we, we moved here from California, and in Northern Cal, when we got there, I was shocked to find out that most of the places didn't have air conditioning. Like, none of the apartments had air conditioning. I'm like, what's this about? Like, I thought California was supposed to be part of the modern world. And they said, well, it never gets that hot. You don't really need air conditioning. And then it was like 85 degrees one day. And I'm like, I need air conditioning. <laughs> yeah, and so I was, as I was thinking about it, just think how much our lives have changed just in the last few years. Uh, and by few, I mean 10, 20, or 30. So I, w- I was thinking about our phones. Like, do you remember? I remember when I was a kid, the phone was something that was stationary. It didn't move around, right? And I remember it had a dial. I'm really dating myself a little bit here. You know, you'd have to, you know, right? And then they came out with push-button phones. We're like, man, we live in the modern world. (laughs) I remember we went to the big city, which was uh, Bristol, uh, Bristol, Tennessee. It's a a town about the size of Mulberry. Um, But it was the largest town close to where I lived. And so we got there, and I, I, we went by this hotel, and it said on the marquee, uh, push-button phones. <laughs> like, that was their advertising. You should stay here because we have push-button phones. So how many remember the phone in the kitchen? Remember the kitchen phone? That was the best one, right? The phone in the kitchen was attached to the wall, and it had a cord that seemed to be able to stretch from here to there and back. And it didn't matter too much where there was. So, you know, hung in the kitchen, you'd have to answer it there. You could go to the dining room, it could go to the family room, it could stretch out to the deck, you know, if it had to. Love that thing. And one interesting thing about those phones is they would ring, and it, would, it was a ring, you know, it wasn't like a song. And... When it rang, you had to answer it to see who was on the other end. Strange thing, I know. The young people are like, no, it's not true. It is. <laughs> you had to answer it to see who was on the other end, and you had to say, like, hello, and then they would say something, and you would, like, recognize their voice, right? So if it was, if it was like a business they're calling, they like, identify themselves, but with family and friends, you would say hello, and they'd go, like, hey, how you doing? And, and it was quick, right? They didn't necessarily identify themselves. You just kind of recognized, recognized their voice. Um, this was uh, before there was answering machines. One quick side story on the answering machine. Answering machines are what predated voicemail for the young folk. So uh, this, this probably happened in the mid-'80s. It was before I actually came into Angela's family, but they were still telling the story when I, when I joined the family. So apparently one of her great uncles had an answer machine, high-tech guy, you know, one of the trendsetters. And uh, his sister had called, I think it was Aunt Frances. Aunt Frances? It was Aunt Mary. Excuse me, I want to get the story straight. Aunt Mary called, and so it rang a few times, and then you heard Uncle Bill's voice. And he's saying, hello, this is, this is Bill Patrick. I'm not here right now. And she's like, well, Bill, I can hear you. It's Mary. If you'd like to leave your name and number, Bill, this is your sister. And so they all lived in the same little neighborhood. And so, so Mary comes over to, to uh, Granny's house. 
And she's like, I just got off the phone with Bill, and he wouldn't even speak to me. <laughs> Gosh, you got to love those stories, right? So, um, but ba- back to the, the lack of caller ID. We, we knew ourselves and we knew each other by the sound of our voice, right? Maybe also by the words that we said. Like if you ever picked up the phone and hello and someone on the other end goes, hey, babe, and you're like, nope. <laughs> Wrong number. My dad, when I was in high school, owned, owned a, um, a pizza restaurant. And I remember once my, I was working there and my sister called and our manager answered the phone, and he said, you know, hello, Roberto's Pizza. Roberto's was the name of the place. And she goes, Dad? And he goes, oh, I hope not. <laughs> great, great fun, right? It's the fun of not having caller ID. In fact, in fact, this is what happens now. This is the type of fun we have with caller ID these days, is that have you ever had to borrow someone else's phone and then call someone? Like, you borrow someone else's phone and call them, they think it's that person. So you got to be careful sometimes. Because we have kind of private vocabulary and public vocabulary. And we don't want to mix those two together. Keep those things apart. When the Gospel of John, Jesus says, um, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. There's this metaphor that's kind of carried throughout scripture that that God is like a shepherd and that we are like God's sheep and so that we know who to follow based on the voice that we're hearing and so part of that has to do with the familiarity of the voice like we know what God sounds like and part of that has to do with what God's saying right we know the type of vocabulary the type of things that God would say so if someone's doing some kind of impersonation to sound like God, we're like, oh, that's not God, right? Because God wouldn't say something like that. So I want to kind of illustrate this uh, for you. And so a, f- a friend of mine is going to come out and join me, and uh, we're going to see if we can illustrate <laughs> one of my favorite sheep. <laughs> don't, don't wander away too far, buddy. All right, so uh, this is, come on, come on into the light. This is my sheep, Mikel, who we all love. And so we're going to see if Mikel can do a few impersonations for us to see whether or not uh, we can, um, how well he can do impersonating someone else's voice. This is what, uh, this is what an internship at Oasis looks like. Just so you know. Just so you, know. you can't, uh, can't say no to the same things he said no to before. All right, sheep, listen up. Um, can you can you do Sean Connery? <clears throat> my sheep know my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Mm, that's good. All right. You're the sheep now, dog. All right. Let's get let's do another one. How about Liam Neeson? <clears throat> oh. <laughs> I have a particular set of sheep. <laughs> They know my voice. I know them, and they follow after me. I will find you. (laughs) All right. Uh, Adam Sandler. My sheep know my voice. And I know them, and they follow after me. (laughs) That's good. 
All right. How about how about Bane, the uh, the bad guy from uh, from uh, Batman? My sheep know my voice. What a lovely, lovely voice. I know them, and they follow after me. All right. How about, how about Alan uh, Rickman, uh, Professor Snape from Harry Potter? Uh, may he rest in peace. My sheep know my voice. And I know them, and they follow after me. Always. All right, all right. One more. One last one. Uh, Bernie Sanders. <laughs> my sheep know my voice. Jesus will leave the bottom 99% of sheep to go after the top 1% of sheep. I know them, and they follow after me. And now I would like to yield the remainder of my time to the gentleman from Virginia. Look, when you have talent like that just laying around, it's low-hanging fruit. You can't, you can't leave it. But this is, uh, with all, you know, lots of fun, but in all due seriousness as well, um, recognizing the voice of God is an important thing. Uh, God is our shepherd, right? And we want to follow God. So the question comes, then, how do I recognize the voice of God, or where do I hear the voice of God? And there are lots of places I think that takes place. For some of us, we hear the voice of God in nature. So I don't know if, that's, if you're one of those folks, but kind of going out, whether it's the waterfall or the mountains or the beach or the desert, but you find God in nature. So whether it's like um, Thoreau or Emerson, uh, Mary Oliver, Gary Snyder, the poets, the photography, the experience, our God is the creator. And when we're in creation, there are times when we feel the presence of God in ways that we don't experience elsewhere. So if you hear God, if you find God in creation, then I encourage you, I encourage you to be aware of that, to be, to be present with the presence of God. Um, I quote this uh, poem a lot by uh, Elizabeth Barrett Browning. It's, a, it's actually a very long poem. I won't quote the whole thing. It's 90 pages. Uh, for two reasons. One, I don't know it. And two, that'd be too long. But there's a particular stanza that says, Earth's crammed with heaven and every bush ablaze. But only he or she who sees takes off their shoes. And the rest of us just sit round and pick blackberries and dab our natural faces unaware. The idea behind that, of course, is that it's not just the one bush that Moses saw burning that's burning with the presence of God. God is everywhere. God is here with us, and God is already at the restaurant where we're going to eat lunch today, or at home, or with our loved ones who are elsewhere. We can't, like, hurry up and get someplace before God gets there. And so just being aware of that presence, particularly in nature, I think a lot of us find, find solace uh, there. So sometimes it's not articulated. It doesn't have a lot of words, but it is nevertheless the voice, the kind of wordless voice of God. As a prophet, um, 
Elijah, in the still, small voice. Or I really love the way the NRSV translates it, in the sound of sheer silence. So uh, just curious, kind of show of hands, how many of you feel like you kind of connect with God in nature? Yeah, I would definitely raise my hand on that one too. In terms of hearing the voice of God or kind of feeling the presence of God, another strong place that that happens for us is in music. Music moves us in ways that, that words alone can't. And so I would encourage you to, to kind of be aware, be attentive, kind of practice listening for God's voice in music. Now certainly this would be kind of worship music. Uh, I don't mean to call John out, but you are in the front row. And I, I remember I saw this uh, a while back um, on Facebook, um, you know, the great social media spot. John had posted on Facebook that he was listening to worship music on his car, and he was so moved, he just felt like he had to pull over. I don't know if you remember mentioning that. That really encouraged me that day. I mean, that was one of those, it was before we were using the hashtag, the church all week. But that was one of those times where I had the church in the middle of the week. Because I I heard this testimony of someone else who was kind of moved by the presence, moved by the voice of God. So music. You should uh, be attentive to that. Um, I mean, I grew up in a tradition, and I'm part of a tradition that's kind of known for being kind of hyper-emotional. And, and some people critique that. They're like, oh, you know, we don't want to be too emotional. Really? Yeah. Is, is emotion what we're afraid of? Because when I, when I think about my relationship with Angela, my first thought is not, oh, I don't want to be too emotional. When I think about my relationship with my children, I don't, I don't think, oh, don't want to be too loving with the kids. <laughs> Tell them I love them too often, and maybe they'll, you know, they'll, th- they'll just take it for granted. There's, there's a sense in which God kind of made us emotional people. I think we kind of need to embrace that, whether it's in our laughters or it's in our tears, whether it's in our joy or it's in our sorrows. And music moves us in ways. That, that words alone can't do. So I, I, would, I dare say most of us wouldn't raise our hands saying we're, we, we kind of sometimes find God in music, right? You don't have to raise your hands, it's all right. I know, I know it's true. Um, but I would say this too. When I'm talking about kind of hearing the voice of God in music, I don't just mean the hymns and the praise and worship songs. I also mean an instrumental sound. I mean in, in the, the, the songs off the radio. Uh, the truth of God can come to us unaware, unexpectedly, through, through voices that we might not anticipate. Um, listen to Kel- Kelly Clarkson's pieces the other day. Oh, yeah, man. Tears start to flow just hearing the name of the song. So besides nature, and besides uh, music, how else do we hear the voice of God? Hopefully this doesn't seem self-serving. But one of the ways in, in the Christian tradition that we've often imagined that we hear from God is in sermons. Now you might think, well, we wish that was the case, I don't know. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, people come and they hear other people talk about God or talk about scripture or talk about life. And, and that this... I know in some ways it's a little foolish. Uh, this, we don't f- 
function like this generally, where one person talks and everybody else listens for half an hour. That's a little unusual for us. Most of the conversations we find ourselves in is a bit more you know, dialectical, a bit more back and forth. So this, yeah, I get it. It's a little strange. But traditionally, this has been one of those places. And I hope that uh, it's the case, even today, that uh, your spiritual ears can, can uh, find the voice of God kind of speaking to you today as we talk about the church as the flock and we talk about God as the good shepherd. I would also say that we can often hear the voice of God from others. Uh, others that may be like in an intentional kind of life group or just others that are kind of our unofficial life groups, just the, the, the people we find ourselves doing life with. Um, I, you can hear the voice of God kind of from other people. They'll speak to you, and you'll know that this is God speaking to you, that God is using them to, to encourage you or to correct you or to, to express love to you. There are other ways, of course, that we can hear from the voice of God. An important one in our tradition is Scripture. Scripture is this kind of recorded voice, uh, kind of like that answer machine that Aunt Mary listened to. Bill, this is Mary. Won't you talk to me? But Scripture, Scripture is this um, place where not only do we learn the kind of the, the sound of God's voice so much as we learn the types of things that God says. Right? So when we read Scripture, we find, we learn that God says these types of things. He says this about love. You know, he says this about justice. He says this about mercy. He says this about forgiveness. He says this about inclusion. He says this about this, this is what it's like for me and this is what I, I want you to be like. I love you. I forgive you. Come, let's, let's, let's live together. Right? And it's that, that kind of cadence, that kind of rhythm that we get from kind of reading Scripture. Um, there's, another, there's another way, and I think it's an important one. And it would be interesting to, to, to hear from, uh, back from you, actually, on this. Um, sometimes we hear from God in prayer. Now, I know sometimes in prayer it's just us talking. You ever been in a conversation where the other person just talked too much? Like you think, I, I wouldn't mind saying something, but I don't have a chance because they never even take a breath. I think maybe God thinks that sometimes when we pray. Like our, our prayers are just pray, 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 talk, 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 pray, pray, talk, talk, pray. And, and God wouldn't mind saying something if we just shut up a little bit. You know, there is that one, one point in the, in the Gospels where Jesus says, when you pray, don't use a lot of words like the Pharisees do. Ooh. But yeah, listen when you pray. And I'm, I'm not saying that you're necessarily going to hear some kind of audible voice speak back to you. But I think you do hear, again, um, what we understand to be that still small voice, that kind of internal thought where God, God will speak to you. And I encourage you to do this, to, to be aware of God's presence, right? To pray with an expectation that God is listening and with an expectation that God also has something to say to you. Prayer. There are other ways, of course, um, ways that we don't practice as much around here. 
uh, but ways that are mentioned about in Scripture, words of knowledge and words of wisdom, uh, prophecy. Um, there's an interesting one, which I, I have a, a number of friends that I feel like they hear from God in their dreams. That when they dream, they feel like God speaks to them. Now, I, I dream a lot. I often wake up remembering my dreams, and I'm pretty confident God has nothing to do with what I'm dreaming about. <laughs> However, that doesn't mean that God would never use a dream to communicate with me, or that he never has. So the next time you wake up and, you, and you've dreamt something, is that, is that the past of dream? Yeah, thanks. If you've dreamt something, then um, just be aware. Just, just kind of ask God, is this, is this from you? Are, are you speaking to me? Or is that the hot sauce on the tacos? <laughs> well, we want to be able to hear God's voice and to be able to differentiate it, right? We want to differentiate God's voice just from the culture or God's voice from what we had to eat last night, right? God's voice maybe even from our own kind of perceptions of the world. This brings us to another point, and that's this. Hearing God is just step one in this process. Because Jesus says, this is, it was John chapter 10, where, where Jesus is talking, and he's referred to as the good shepherd, and he says, I am the shepherd, and you are my sheep. Um, I, I know you, or they are my sheep. I know them, and they follow me. But a little bit later, Jesus is talking again, and he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Like, there is this expectation. Uh, some Christians are really uncomfortable with this. They're like, oh, no, that sounds like works righteousness. Like, you have to earn your salvation. We, we got a little hypersensitive to the language, perhaps, I think. Look, this is, a, this is about a relationship. And if we're in relationship with one another, there are certain expectations, right? That's how good relationships go, right? That we have, like, codependency relationships, where some people just keep giving an expectation that somebody else will still love them, but they're not really committed to it. Right? God's not really interested in codependency. God's like in healthy relationships. God can withdraw and kind of stand over the side waiting for us, very patiently, but nevertheless waiting for us to grow up and learn how to be in a relationship. And so there is this expectation with this relationship that the sheep would actually follow the voice of the shepherd. So you imagine there are a few shepherds and there's a couple of flocks and they're kind of intermingled. And the one shepherd says, all right, we're leaving, let's go. Those sheep are supposed to follow the voice of that shepherd, not the voice of some other shepherd. And we have one shepherd, friends, and that is Jesus. It is Jesus that kind of makes this metaphor work for us. Because frankly, being called a flock or being called a sheep is not really a compliment in the animal world. I mean, it produces wool, I guess that's good. And it produces some other things that I'm in favor of, like lamb chops, but I don't want to go there. So how does the metaphor work for us? Well, it works for us not because it's some great compliment that we're being called sheep. It works for us because it's a great compliment because we're called God's sheep. It is God as the good shepherd 
that makes this a good that makes this good news. The passage again from John's Gospel is, I, "I'm the shepherd; uh, they are my sheep. I know them, and they follow me. I know them, and they follow me." Look, there's plenty of people in the world that we know, right? You know, pick pick your uh, poison, so to speak. Um, we, we could say entertainment, right? And we might, I might could say, I know Sean Connery. Or I could pick a NASCAR and say, I know Dale Earnhardt Jr. Um, or I could, I could pick uh, music and say, I know Beyonce. I could pick, um, I don't know, uh, the, the, the church world, and I could say I, I know Rowan Williams, the archbishop or former archbishop of, of Canterbury. Now, the, the, the kicker here, of course, is those people don't know me. I just meant I know them. I could pick them out. Like, if I saw them, I would know them. If I heard their voice, especially Rowan, Rowan's voice is very deep. I kind of, oh, yeah, that's Rowan Williams. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about us just knowing God. We're talking about God saying, they're my sheep, and I know them. I know which ones are mine. I'm calling to them, right? It's not just that we know, but that we are known. We are known by God. We are known by the good shepherd. And this, friends, is good news. Because the shepherd cares for his sheep. The shepherd is going to watch out. For his sheep, the shepherd's going to to uh, make provision for the sheep to protect them, and so we have we hear this metaphor perhaps most um, uh, beautifully expressed in, in Psalm twenty three. But before we get there, uh, I wanted to say this about this idea that the church as the flock is rooted in this idea that we belong to God. So the church kind of belongs to God. It's God's church, right? Uh, Somebody say, where do you go to church? I'll say Oasis, right? I'll say it's my church. I say it's my church not meaning like possessive, like it belongs to me. I say it's my church meaning I'm a part of that group. Or if I'm in a different context, and somebody's asking me that question, I realize they're not asking me what local church I attend. They're asking me more a question about kind of faith, right? And I'll say I'm Christian. I'm, you know, I'm not Jewish or I'm not Muslim or I'm not Buddhist. You know, I'm Christian. That's, that's, the, that's the group that I'm a part of, right? I, I worship the Christian God. That's, that's who I identify with. Um, in Matthew 16, it's actually in all the Gospels, although it's a little different than John. But in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, the story kind of starts, we're introduced to Jesus, it crescendos to a particular point, which is this major hinge that the story turns on, and then it moves from there to the crucifixion. And that hinge is the confession of Jesus as the Messiah. Like, who do people say that I am? Jesus asks his disciples. And they say, well, some say you're Jeremiah, some say Elijah, some say one of the prophets. He says, but who do you say that I am? And in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it comes on the lips of Peter. And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus responds, 
Simon, son of Barjona, uh, you are right. And, and, and flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I'm going to call you Rocky. That's, that's probably the best translation. And, and upon this confession, Rocky, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So who, whose church is it? It's Jesus' church. I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Meaning, <laughs> this is often misunderstood, I think. Sometimes we think that the, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Meaning that the church is this kind of enclave, this, this stationary unit that can defend itself against all you know, oncomers. You know, it's going to defend itself against those worldly non-Christians or whatever. But that's not the image at all. It's the, the gates, by the way, don't move around. Gates stand still. It's the church that's on the move. Like that's how that metaphor is supposed to work. You are my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, meaning the gates will not be able to withstand the church. As the church grows, as, as the church's life is, is experienced in the community, as the church's practices of love and forgiveness and mercy and grace and inclusion, that begins to press against the world systems until the world systems can't maintain themselves anymore. And the whole place becomes God's place, God's way. I'd like for us to kind of come to a conclusion today by looking at Psalm 23. There were cards handed out um, as you came in. Hopefully you got one. If you didn't, you can pick one on the way out. This is the 23rd Psalm, a Psalm of David. And it's one of those places where the metaphor of God as shepherd um, is rooted in. I think even the place in John's gospel where Jesus is referred to as the good shepherd, he's playing this godly role, right? It's that Jesus is now playing the role of his father in the community. So it says here, and you know it well, I'm sure, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. I'm going to ask our servers to come and distribute to us the elements of communion, uh, the bread and the wine. Ask that as it comes to you, if you would, just hold on. Hold on to the two, um, the bread and the cup, and uh, we'll all partake together here um, after everyone's been served. This uh, psalm kind of ends with this phrase, you prepare a table before me, in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. It's an interesting uh, metaphor, I think, for the Eucharist. That our, the table is prepared kind of in the presence of enemies. So we've mentioned this before that 
at the table so radically inclusive with Jesus that on the one hand, that's very comforting. You know, I feel like I'm accepted at the table. On the other hand, it's a little uncomforting because who know who let those people in? <laughs> you know, I, I didn't know people of that type were allowed at the table. But I think when I think about the shepherd uh, and I think about the 23rd Psalm and the way in which it unfolds and the way in which there's this kind of hope and our courage in the midst of danger. I think of a young David writing this psalm and I imagine him not just seeing the enemy as, as someone he disliked, but actually seeing the enemy as someone who could potentially could uh, potentially do him harm. You know, the, the, the one who would crush him, the one who would uh, ensnare him, the one who could could kill him. And so for the Lord to prepare a table in the presence of their enemies, then it's not just inclusion, but it, but it, is, it is for the victim vindication. Right? So we're not... We're not killing the enemies. I mean, they're still at the table too. But they have a lesson to learn that God's justice doesn't just look aside at wrongdoing, but that those who have been harmed, those who have hungered and thirst for justice get sat at the front of the table, that others who would have harmed them would have to look and see that in God's economy, in God's calculus, those who would have been last are now first, and those who would be first are now last. And so as we take communion today, I pray that you would hear the voice of God say to you, you are my sheep, and I know you, and you love me. You are my sheep, I know you, and you love me. And I pray too that, or I hope that as you take the elements of communion today, that you can, you can feel the presence or hear the voice of God say to you, I got you. I've got your back, I've got you covered, I'm with you. No matter what may come, no matter what may happen, I'm always here. And I want, in a spiritual sense, all those who might think that they could cause you harm to know that today you sit at the table of the Lord. Today, you are God's special guest. For He is our shepherd. And we, we are his sheep.